We will begin with a word of prayer. And does anybody know what today is in the church year? Is it commemorating St. Matthew? Yes, yeah, the feast of St. Matthew. We 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 commemorate we commemorate people like confessors or uh, you know like Old Testament prophets or saints or whatever. Uh, and usually the feasts are reserved. Uh, you know, there are some churches that will have like. Uh, divine service today commemorating St. Matthew or you know there's like the conversion of St. Paul there's uh, the Apostles Peter and Paul and things like that and so today is the feast of St. Matthew so I'll read a little bit about that uh, St. Matthew Apostle and and uh, St. Matthew Apostle and Evangelist St. Matthew, also known as, as Levi, identifies himself as a former tax collector, one who was therefore considered unclean, a public sinner, outcast from the Jews. Yet it was such a one as this whom the Lord Jesus called away from his occupation and wealth to become a, a, a disciple. Not only did... Matthew become a disciple of Jesus, he was also called and sent as one of the Lord's twelve apostles. In time he became the evangelist whose, whose inspired record of the gospel was granted first place in the ordering of the New Testament. Among the four gospels, Matthews portrays Christ especially as the new and greater Moses, who graciously fulfills the law and the prophets and establishes a new a new covenant of salvation in and with his own blood. And Matthew's gospel is also well known and beloved for its record of the visit of, of, of the, the visit of the Magi for the Sermon on the Mount, including the Beatitudes and the Our Father, and for the institution of holy baptism and the most explicit revelation of the Holy Trinity in Matthew 28. Tradition is uncertain where, where his final field of labor was and whether Matthew died naturally or a martyr's death. In celebrating this festival, we therefore give thanks to God that he, uh, has, that he has mightily governed and protected his holy church through this man who was called and sent by Christ to serve the sheep of his pastures with the Holy Gospel. So with that, let us pray. O Son of God, our blessed Savior Jesus Christ, you called Matthew the tax collector to be an apostle and, 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 um, and evangelist. Through his faithful and inspired witness, grant that we also may follow you, leaving behind all covetous desires and love and love of 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 riches. For you live and reign with the Father and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Okay, so we are in uh, session 13, uh, Life in the Spirit. Uh, we had to read Romans chapter 8, 
for today and you know, fill, fill out the, uh, the questions, uh, responding to the questions that are asked here in, in your binder. Uh, the focus for today is that the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of Christ, excuse me, the Spirit of Christ nurtures and guides our lives in opposition to the sinful nature and persecution. Uh, who wants to start us off there by reading those first uh, four paragraphs before we get to that first question? In the Odyssey, the ancient Greek poet Homer observes that death destroyed the flesh, but the will and soul escaped. For the ancient Greeks, there was always something pure about the spiritual aspect of man and something evil about the body. They sharply distinguished between flesh and spirit. In contrast, the ancient Hebrews observed that the corruption of sin affected not only the flesh, but also the spirit. Though God had created man pure in body and soul, sin corrupted every aspect of man and not just his flesh. In Romans chapter 8, Paul uses the words flesh and spirit to describe the Christian life. He begins by restating the wonderful gospel message in 8.3, for what the law was not able to do, and that was habitually weak through the flesh, i.e. sinful nature. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh of his son. In order that the justice of the law is fulfilled and who walk in us who walk not according to flesh but according to the spirit. One has to be careful of the meaning of ours, flesh. In these verses and elsewhere in the New Testament, flesh in and of itself is part of God's good creation that Christ redeemed. Yet Paul often uses this word in contrast to spirit as a synonym for sinful nature. The likeness of sinful flesh here means that Christ had real human flesh but was without sin. God condemned sin in the perfect flesh of Jesus who took all sin to himself. For our sake he, God, made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin in order that him, in him we were we become the righteousness of God. Okay, so why might Paul continue to use the word flesh to describe a spiritual condition? What do you think? Well, he was trying to relate to the Greeks, and that's the word they uh, were familiar with. Yeah, and, and how, did, how did the Greeks use the word flesh? What did, what did it say there? Um, I mean... It was evil. It's yeah. Evil in the body. Right. So the flesh means the body, something tangent they could see. Yeah, yeah. There, there was this, this sharp, sharp disconnect between the spirit and the body, and that is actually what caused uh, this. This thinking was what caused the first real heresy the church had to deal with, which was um, Gnosticism. Uh, and, and when I say Gnosticism. Uh, if if you ever see it written out, it it looks uh, it's a G N O uh, Gnosticism Gnosis. Uh, the the G is kind of silent there. It's it's just a word for knowledge and the knowledge that the Gnostics liked to say was that the flesh is evil. The spirit's the only good thing about us. The flesh is all bad. 
And so you would usually get two camps of the Gnostics uh, that would say, well, okay, if the spirit is good and the flesh is bad, then um, I don't have to pay attention to what I do with my body. I can, I can, I can eat, I can drink, I can, you know, uh, be sexually promiscuous. I can, I can, you know, get drunk. I can do whatever to my body. It doesn't matter because my soul's fine. My spirit is okay. And then there's the other side that would say, no, my flesh is bad. So I need to fast and I need to discipline my body so that my spirit can flourish. Right. So there's like always two sides of those things. One would be kind of gluttonous and the other side would be a very, um, ascetic as it were. Uh, so, but, so there was this understanding in the Greek world that believed that the flesh always is bad and the spirit always is good and, and that there's no connection there, right? There's like no connection except for a negative one, maybe. Um, and, and, and so Paul is, is using the word flesh uh, to make that connection for people because they had this in their, in their um, common vocabulary, I guess you could say. But instead of contrasting human flesh with the human spirit, he contrasts the human flesh with the Holy Spirit, right? Uh, uh, because that's where the big change comes in. Um, and, and that if we have a renewed spirit by the Holy Spirit and the Spirit of Christ, which we'll see are closely, more closely related than we maybe talk about most of the time, uh, if, if our spirit is renewed because of the Holy Spirit, then there really is a distinction there, but still not as, uh, there's, there's still not that sharp division where the body doesn't mean anything anymore. You know, that there, he's going to say later on, you know, uh, as far as life in the spirit means also life in the body, right? That, that, that we have these bodies that were given to us by God. And even those are redeemed now in Christ, right? It's not just a spiritual reality that Jesus died for us, that he, um, he, uh, forgave our sins by his blood, you know, but that even our bodies are now made holy. Uh, and that they are now a temple of the Holy Spirit, right? Um, and that fly is driving me crazy. <laughs> oh, that's a big one, too. No, that's a big one. I wish I had one of those little salt guns, you know? <laughs> Shoot it. That's the devil. You can't kill it. God will take care of you. Yeah, all right. Um, so this is, this, this is a good exercise in, in, in paying attention. Um, and And... If you think that this is, and then I'll just kind of, and this is kind of a long, uh, a long study, but we'll, we'll, we'll push through because some of this stuff just kind of, these points kind of hit pretty quick. And if you want to talk more about them, we can talk more about them. But, you know, as we go on, we'll kind of just kind of hit these points pretty quick. But I wanted to tell y'all, it's really interesting that um, Gnosticism is, if you think that it's something we don't deal with anymore, it's, I hate to tell you, we deal with it all the time. This is still a big, big problem, and it rears its ugly head. This lie of Satan uh, is alive and well, and especially in, can you all tell me where this 
understanding that there's this sharp disconnect and divide between the body and the spirit, or the body and the soul, as it were. You know, tell me what's a very prominent movement in our world and even and mostly in our country nowadays that says, you know, it doesn't matter what body I'm in as long as I feel a certain way. And transgenderism. Yeah, tr transgenderism is a big one. Uh, transhumanism, also, even too, as well. To yeah. Years, so transgenderism says, you know, oh, I may be, I may look like a man, but on the inside, I'm a woman, right? I'm not really saying that for myself, no, just no, just so you know. Don't really say that. No, <laughs> nobody would. I I'd be like Jethreen Bodine. Um, you know what I'm saying? Uh, so it's very clear that you're a man. Um, so the, there's this. There's still a sharp disc. There's, there's this false thinking, this, uh, this really um, scandalous thinking that, would, that people say, you know, I, I'm, maybe God made, you know, I might even not say anything about God. They may just say, I happen to be born a man, but on the inside, my spirit is a woman. And, or vice versa. I may be born a woman, but on the inside, I'm a man. And you go, well, that's... Sorry, that's just... God didn't make it. Stay. Yeah, that's kind of ridiculous, I mean, to be honest with you. And because um, what you're finding now, actually very, very sad, sadly, is that you're finding these like poor girls that um, have gone through transgender like procedures, hormone blockers, uh, double mastectomies, you know, and things like that to... to to make their body conform to what their spirit really is, right? I mean, it's the same thing that the Gnostics were doing. They're like, it doesn't matter what I do to my body. What matters is my spirit is what it is, right? It's the same thing. And you're seeing these girls who are, their reproductive system is most of the time irreparably damaged because of the hormone blockers and the puberty blockers and things like that, that they may never be able to actually carry a child to term and they cut off their breasts and you know and now they have and but they want to go back to living like a woman but they've mutilated their bodies to fit whatever reality they were trying to fit for themselves and it's just it's awful it's um it's very very sad and you know you see you see men that tried to transition into women coming out and saying that I regret what I did and that it wasn't a mistake that I was made a man or uh, a woman, you know, it, it's not a mistake that I was born this way. And, and for me to think otherwise, it's just foolish, you know. See, when I was growing up, that was called just being a tomboy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, what's really sad about this is that, uh, and, and I've learned a little bit about this, that, that um, you see more women transitioning to be men. And, and what, and some people have explained it, that it's a social contagion. You know what I mean? Like back back in the nineties, what was what what did a lot of girls suffer from? Anorexia, Anorexia bulimia, mm -hmm. right? They wanted to stay thin, and their friends said, "Hey, this is a great way to stay thin. Why don't you try it?" And it just went on and on and on, and the social contagion just kind of spreads like that. And what happens with transgenderism with girls is that, well. What happens when you go through pu through puberty? You tend to get depressed. 
because your hormones are out of control and you don't know how to handle it. And so when you go and you go to these counselors that will say, well, I think that, you know, you're confused and you might be really a, 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 a male or a man, you know, try, you know, but you were born a woman or whatever. They put them on testosterone. You know what happens when women start taking testosterone? They feel great. They feel so good that they start saying to themselves, well, maybe this is right for me. Maybe this is who I really am. And it's like a false positive kind of thing. And then they just keep, and that's, that's, that's like the gateway because testosterone is, is an antidepressant, right? So that's kind of how crazy things get nowadays. Uh, but all that is to say, this sort of thinking is not new and it's not going anywhere anytime soon. So the more you understand uh, the false thinking that um, there are things you can do to your body that don't matter to your soul or vice versa, you know, the, the sooner you realize that they're, they're connected to the point where you can't know where one begins and the other ends, the better off you'll be in understanding the entirety of your person and how God takes care of both body and soul, right? Um, so, I, any questions or thoughts on this? It's a lot to think about, isn't it? It's kind of a lot to digest. So, and if I need to explain certain things, let me know as we go along here. Um, but uh, I, I bring all this up because um, I think somebody said, this morning, they're like, your soul or your spirit or whatever you want to call it, uh, you know, what makes you you is asexual. And I said, that's not true. I mean, like I said, your spirit, your soul and your body are go hand in hand. so connected that because you're a man or a, it be, because you're a male or a female, that affects your personhood, mm -hmm. right? Uh you're, you're, um, in the, in the Greek, we would say that this is, uh, the, uh, the, the, the psuche, the psyche, P-S-Y-C-E, right? Like psychology. Uh, it is what makes you, you. And, um, when you see that, uh, this is, it was explained to me that this is like your personhood. This is the, this is, this is what makes me Garrett, right? And this is what makes you Sean. This is what makes you India. This makes you Frank. Sorry, Frank. Um, <laughs> I was supposed to be uplifted. Yeah, I know. <laughs> well, we all have our shortcomings, myself included. But the thing is, is that uh, when your, your entire being of what makes you, you is not, only because of how you feel on the inside. And it's not only what you are on the outside, they're both so connected uh, that, that like, again, you don't know where one begins and the other ends to the point where uh, you can, it's, it's kind of interesting, and I'll move on from here after this, that if you simply do things like, you know, fasting, right? Uh, uh, and the small catechism says that fasting is indeed good bodily preparation for like receiving uh, communion. And when you fast, you find out uh, 
um, that your soul is affected as well, that you're able to pray better because you don't have the distraction of having the feelings that come from a full stomach. Likewise, if you gorge yourself on a big meal and you're stuffed to the gills and then all of a sudden you say, I need to pray, but first I'm going to lie down, right? It, 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 it gets in the way, right? Because I'm so tired, I'm so full, I got to digest this. I, don't, I can't think about what I would pray for, right? These things go hand in hand and, they, and one affects the other. Um, when your soul is affected, I mean, think about stress that it does on the body, right? And how you work out the body to relieve stress or anxiety, right? Hand in hand, okay? Can I make a comment? Yes, please. You were mentioning that, you know, when your son was born, mm -hmm. he had some names picked out, but you're like, none of them fit him. Yeah. And it was like, you know, after he was born, oh, he's going to be a Henry. Yeah. Well, that's because his personality was coming out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and the more we said it, the more it was him, you know, it's just, and that's why names are important too. Because um, even when they're, they still have personalities when they're born like that. Yeah. Giddy bitty. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's kind of funny with Charlotte, you know, we didn't know if she, you know, we didn't know boy or girl. And then she comes out and says, that's a girl. And, and we had sort of talked about names, but then all of a sudden, but like we knew that if it was going to be a girl, her name was going to be Charlotte. And then as soon as we said that it was Charlotte, we go, yeah, it's Charlotte. It's always been Charlotte. <laughs> you know, it's just who she's always been. Right. Since God formed her in, in the womb. Uh, yeah, so names are important, just so you know. Um, uh, yeah, that's very interesting. I forget about that some, sometimes. It's like, yeah, it's Henry. Yeah, no big deal. Um, and he's becoming more and more Henry every day. That's great. Just like Charlotte is becoming more and more Charlotte every day. Um, it's kind of neat. Uh, all right, let's move on here. Unless somebody wants to add something to that. Uh, the flesh as a spiritual condition. If not, we'll just keep going. Uh, so Romans reveals that along with the Heavenly Father and Jesus, the Holy Spirit receives special emphasis in Paul's teaching. In fact, Romans chapter 8 mentions the Holy Spirit more often than any other chapter in the Bible. To understand how the Holy Spirit works in your life and the lives of fellow believers, carefully study the chart on the next page. We're just kind of go through this pretty quickly. Um, on the left-hand side, you have work of the Holy Spirit. On the right-hand column, you have uh, the meaning of that work for you. So that first work that's on the chart is hallowing or sanctifying, that is to make holy, right? Uh, chapter 1, verse 4, and chapter 8, verse 13. And the meaning for you is that holiness, like salvation, is not something you attain by your own efforts. Holiness is God's gift to you, begun and completed, through the work of the Holy Spirit. As you struggle to overcome sin, pray to the Spirit of holiness for strength and comfort. Um, another work of the Holy Spirit is leading. See that in chapter 8, verses 1 through 5, and verse 14. Uh, every moment of your life as a Christian, um, every moment of your life as a Christian is intimately tied up in the work of the Spirit through the word and witness of other believers, the Spirit leads you to greater faith and 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 certainty. Another work of the Holy Spirit is renewing. 
chapter 7, verse 6. When you condemn yourself for your failures by beating yourself up with the law, remember that God wants to, to renew your life with his Holy Spirit. The law of God is good, but it has no power to, to, uh, to renew. Certainly repent of your sins when you recognize them. In view of the gospel, joyfully confess your sins and live in the new life that God gives. Another work of the Holy Spirit is life-giving, chapter 8, verses 2 and 10. Life, whether physical or spiritual, always comes as a gift. Begin each day like a, a newborn child resting in its, its, in its father's care, for he gives you life by his Spirit. Um, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, uh, chapter 8, verse 9. The Holy Spirit of God is always, is with us always. Just imagine God actually makes our hearts his home. Uh, another work of the Holy Spirit is bearing witness, chapter 8, verses 15 through 16. When you have moments of doubt, the Holy Spirit will bring God's word to your mind and comfort you with the enduring promise of your heavenly Father's love. Uh, the Holy Spirit, is, uh, another work is, is, um, is, um, interceding. Chapter 8, verses 26 to 27. The Spirit of God prays for you. When you don't know what to pray, depend on the Holy Spirit to express your heart's deepest needs and burdens before the throne of heaven. Uh, working the Holy Spirit is working, m working m miracles. Chapter fifteen, verse nineteen. The Spirit of God is no passive passenger in life of in in, in the life of a believer. He works, m he works miracles in accordance with God's m mercy. Uh, and then fostering love is the last one on this chart. Uh, the Holy Spirit fosters love. Uh, Chapter 15, verse 30, many new believers and not a few mature ones are overwhelmed by the love expressed between Christians. This is the Spirit's work among God's people. Uh, so Romans 8, verses 5 through 13 is also an important follow-up to the struggle discussed in Romans 7. It presents a strong contrast between life according to the flesh and life in the Spirit. Sometimes we distinguish persons of the Trinity to the point where teaching about their unity may suffer. Note the, com note the complex unity within the Godhead expressed in chapter 8, verses 9 through 11, especially through the relationship between teaching about Christ and the Spirit. Where St. Paul writes, But you are not in the flesh, you are in the Spirit. If in fact the Spirit of God dwells um, dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although your bodies are dead because of sin, your spirits are alive because of, of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will give life to your, your, your mortal bodies also through his Spirit that dwells in you. Do we receive both Christ and the Holy Spirit at baptism? Yes. We receive Christ via the Spirit to dwell in us as 
his temple, even as we are also brought into Christ as a, a member of his body. Uh, at one place, spirit, pneuma, or pneuma, uh, is often not translated as the Holy Spirit. Uh, in chapter 8, verse 16, Paul writes, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. What is our spirit? In light of what Paul says in the preceding verses, this quote-unquote spirit should be understood as our new man, who is none other than Christ dwelling in us via the Spirit. So in other words, the Spirit himself, the Holy Spirit, through the Word and the sacraments, bears witness with my spirit, the inner man, Christ, who dwells in us via the Holy Spirit, that we are the children of God. Thus we receive the testimony of the Spirit from outside of ourselves as well as from inside ourselves, okay? Kind of a lot there, a lot to uh, think about and digest. But for those of y'all who did that and have thought about it, the next question I think is really kind of fun to think about. Uh, reflect on the fact that God dwells with his people. What are the implications for your life? And you see different things of uh, home, work, and at worship. So let's begin with at home. What are the implications for your life at home that God dwells with you as his people? It's going to be different for everybody, so whoever wants to share is fine. I wrote down a helper. A helper at home? How, can, how is he a helper at home? To guide me, to lead me, to like get the words out right. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah to uh, remind me what I have and be thankful for it. Yeah, I was going to say. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Would remind you what you have, help you to be content with what's what's at home yeah. for you. That I have a That's dwelling one thing. to live in. What's that? That I have a dwelling to live in. That sure. I have a place to live. I have right. shelter. Yeah, that that, uh, that that God has supplied you with that part of your daily bread, right? Yeah, great. Any, anybody else have anything for at home? I mean, does it, or, or should it have the implication that home is a place of peace? Mm -hmm. Uh and not and not just because everybody gets along, uh, but because and and also not because we just don't talk about certain things, right? Like religion or politics. You know, that's 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 kind of the rule of a lot of families is to say, well, we always get along because we never talk about religion and politics. And it's like, so what do you talk about? That's boring. I mean, let's talk about religion all day long and politics. That's a lot of fun, you know. <laughs> Two biggest problems society has. Oh yeah, that's yeah, that's that's kind of been a problem is that. Because nobody talked about it, no one knew how to talk about it. So it's, 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 it's become one of those things you ignore it and then you, you leave it out to your detriment. Um, but it's not because we don't talk about certain things, but it's because we have peace in our homes on some level because, I mean, the Holy Spirit is the spirit of peace. He reminds us of the, the reconciliation we have with God through Christ, and that is the reconciliation that is shared amongst us as believers and within a home 
husbands and wives, um, parents and children, right? Uh, and and it's kind of I, I think I think I joked this morning. It's like yeah, that would be. It becomes a lot of fun when you have like three generations in one home because then you have uh, children, parents, and grandparents. Which parents do you give honor to the most? You know, it's kind of a tough thing sometimes. Uh, it's easy. Yeah. Yeah? It's easy? <laughs> the grandparents. Yeah, the grandparents, yeah. Yeah, they are. Uh, great grandparents in my case. Right, yeah. But if they're all in the same household, like that, that can breed a lot of tension, no, right? No, not my house. Right. <laughs> we all get along great. Oh, that's great. That's that, that. They do what I say. Yeah. <laughs> that's good. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> you know better than that, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm. I mean, every every household struggles with these things, right? Uh, that that uh, certain people want to do certain things, and those who have authority say no, right, or whatever have you. There's all kinds of different instances that tension happens in the home, and yet God dwells with His people, um, and the Spirit brings peace, right, and sanctifies our homes. Um, by the word of God, and someone, and you know, would would um, the fact that God dwells with His people and the implications for your life at home have anything to do with things like daily devotions, reading your Bible, praying with each other, things like that too? What do you think? Reconciling arguments between family members. Or something yeah, like yeah, reconciling one one to another. Uh, People saying, please forgive me, and the other person saying, I forgive you, right? Ooh. Yeah. Controversial, huh? I was married 65 years, and I never heard that. Yeah. <laughs> I forgive you. <laughs> or I'm sorry. Okay. Yeah. Well, that, that's, that's like one thing I really want to, that, that's, that's one thing I really stress in our household is that if, if I ask for forgiveness or somebody else asks forgiveness for me, we, we make sure we say, I forgive you. And, and we're trying to teach Charlotte that too. It's like, there's sometimes we're like, she'll, she'll be done with a bowl or something of, of food, like oatmeal or something like that. And she'll put it on the floor to feed to Greta, our dog. And, and to stop her, I'll say, no, 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 no. And it's loud enough to where she like gets startled and she gets scared. And so I go over and I say, and I get down to her and I say, honey, I'm really sorry that I, I scared you and I was loud. Do you forgive me? And she goes, uh-huh. And I said, can you say, I forgive you? And she goes, I forgive you, Dada. You know? And, wow. and she, she may not know exactly what that means yet, but hopefully it'll be part of her vocabulary to the point where that'll be a regular part of our life together um, as a family. Um, and we're not perfect in this, so we ask for God's forgiveness in all these things when we need to, right? It's a more powerful statement, too. It makes it clear, Instead right? Of being like, oh, no, it's all good. Yeah. Or something like that. I, that's become a pet peeve of mine is when I say, please forgive me. And people are like, no, oh, don't worry about it. No, 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 You need to say, I forgive you. If, if you forgive me, I need to hear it because then I have no doubt, you know, and I, there's no room for Satan to come in and say, did they really forgive you? They said no big deal, but you know, yeah, let's, let's try and not give the devil any more room than what he's got. Right. Uh, anything else about the home, the, the implications of the home now that you know that God dwells with you as a Christian. Yeah. 
No? Well, I know that at my house right now, um, with Megan there and then the three kiddos, we started doing the morning prayer and the evening prayer before we go to bed. That's great. And, you know, the we read it out of the little catechism that we have there. Yeah. And it's there by the nightstand. They go, Nanny, Nanny, here. Yeah. You know? And so they want to have that every day. Yeah. Before they go to school, they want to do That's wonderful. the morning prayer. That's wonderful. Know? And so they're excited about it. And all three of them together, you know, oh, I've got to have that. And, you know, so... It, it brings us all together. Yeah. That's awesome. I mean, you know? if that's not the Holy Spirit, what is it, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and it's the same thing at our house um, when, I'm, when I'm there. Uh, you know, on nights where I have to teach, it's tough. But when I'm not there, um, that's something that Amelia does with Charlotte and Henry is that we'll, we'll do uh, one of the prayers in our hymnal and in the treasury. It's uh, um, Compline. Uh, it's, it's a... We know how to chant it and everything like that. It's, it's actually really, really pretty. Um, and that kind of helps us calm down. And Charlie's like, Compline, 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 brings us our treasury daily prayer. Like, Compline, Compline. It's all right. Yeah, we'll do Compline real quick. It's just real quick. It takes like 10 minutes. But kids have a way when you build those habits. I mean, that's that's the Holy Spirit. I, I truly believe saying, you know, prompting them saying, we can't live without this, right? We can't live without the prayer and we can't live without the word of God. We want it because we, because it's, it's just part of our life. It's wonderful. Last Thursday, Patrick and I were sitting out on the porch and he goes, Mimi, you know what? Mommy forgot to read to us out of that pink book last night. And I said, what? Mommy forgot to read to us out of that pink book. I said, what pink book? That pink book that she has, when you go to Bible study, she reads to us out of that pink book. Well, her Bible is pink. Ah, gotcha. And he goes, yeah, she forgot to read to us out of that pink book last night. <laughs> and I go, well, just tell her about it and she can do it. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, he remembered that and he wants it. And Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. great. I, and and, and that's, that's something it's like when the kids ask for it, how can the parents say no? Yeah. Saturday night, he goes... Patrick goes, is tomorrow Sunday? And I said, it sure is. He goes, we're going to church tomorrow, right? And I said, yes, we're going to church. I am so excited to go to church tomorrow. <laughs> That's he awesome. Got all enthusiastic. That's you know? awesome. So they, it, it's really affecting them. That's great. It's filling them. Thanks be to God. Yeah. That's wonderful. So wonderful. I don't think I ever said that when I was. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you did. <laughs> That's wonderful. That's wonderful. All right, so I think I think we've 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 done our duty on talking about the home. Uh, how about that next one of the implications for us at work? Now, some of us, you know, are retired, but I mean, for those of us who do work, what is what are the implications for our work life now that God dwell now that we know that God dwells with His people? I put it helps me not get involved with gossip or slander between co-workers. Mm-hmm. That's very interesting. Even when it's on like on a subtle level, mm. if somebody's being real subtle about something and they might be trying to plant a little seed. Mm. Yeah. So that definitely helps me kind of be aware and kind of like just mm. walk into the other room. Walk that out. <laughs> yeah. Not engage. Most or... of the time I just don't open my mouth. There's a proverb about that, uh, that, uh, 
there's a proverb about that where it's like you know um, that that basically a man a man what is it um, a man shows himself to be wise when he opens not his mouth or something like that um, and then there's also it's not it's summarized elsewhere but there's a kind of colloquial proverb of saying that um, uh, what is it best to think yourself a fool and uh, keep your mouth shut than to than to open it and remove all doubt. That's Mark Twain. <laughs> Probably, yeah. <laughs> Best to think yourself a fool and to keep your mouth shut than to open it and remove all doubt. Yeah, and let everybody know that you are. Yeah. So yeah, uh, yeah. So sometimes it's just best, and and that's all. And James also talks about that too, right? It's just um, uh, uh, be slow, slow to speak and quick to listen. Uh, yeah, good, good stuff. Um, any other? Th- any other implications for work life that y'all have? Those of y'all out in the workforce? Well, I said that if God is dwelling in me, then he should also be shining through me as a witness yeah. to my coworkers. Very good. Yeah. Um, and that can take place in various ways and whatever you're... Vocation is uh, not not just your job, but you know the calling that God has placed you in. And uh, what is it in the small catechism? We have the table of duties and two employees. Which is kind of funny that it takes it from what Ephesians, where Paul talks about what the slaves should do. Uh, but yeah, so the employees uh, they're not idle in their work, but not to please men, but to please God. At, you know, um, serving serving those that employ you, as if you were serving Christ Himself, right? Um, uh, and and that can make a good confession. Uh, and I think this this morning, um, Christelle Nordmeyer was here, and, and and she was a nurse, uh, and she said that when when she lived when she worked in um, Houston one time, they uh, she saw that there was like paper over the window of one of the rooms and she asked what what's that paper doing on the room there and they said oh well, they're performing an abortion and she said what how i don't want to do that and the lady she was talking to said well no one wants to do it but you have to do it it's a law or something like that and and so she said well i'm not going to do it and she left that job and went to work for a roman catholic hospital that wouldn't do those things mm-hmm. And um, she said every time she would apply for a job to be a nurse, she would say, that's one thing I will not do. You know, don't ask me to do it. I won't do it. And if that's a problem, then I don't need this job. And I was like, that's a great confession. You know, that's that's a great thing to say, to stick to your guns and say, I'm not going to be coerced by uh, a job to violate God's, God's will, you know, and affect my conscience on these things just because you say so and if I don't then I'm fired you know it's one of those things where kind of like with gossip or any other things that seem not as grave but to say no I'm not gonna I'm not gonna engage in these things just because it'll make me more popular at work or whatever I'm gonna do what's right because that's what God says in his word we should do um, knowing that's the right way to live yeah and that's how Christ can shine through you, right? That you delight in God's law now. 
uh, knowing that you don't do it perfectly, but still, you do what God has given you to do. Any other thoughts on that, on work? I got a story. Uh-oh. You got a story? Go ahead. When I was working. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was in uh, Boulder, Colorado. Mm-hmm. And we were at the college and doing some work here for college contract. Mm-hmm. And I got crossways with the electrical contractor. And I always tried to, I never allowed my crew to cuss or anything. You know, use profanity. But the guy threatened me and I kind of lost it. And I brought up all these words I learned in the service. <laughs> and only there, right? And he, he yeah. scared him off. Yeah. And I was feeling pretty proud of myself. Yeah. This kid I hired out of high school had been working for me for about five years. I was feeling pretty good after that. He says, Mr. Martin, I've been working for you for five years and I've never heard you use a cuss word till today. And I was so small, he had to drive me back to the motel. Yeah. Because I yeah. took all the wind out of my sails. I won, won the argument, but the devil was helping me there. Right, yeah, yeah. He took over. You gave into that temptation. Yeah. I did, and I felt good about it. Yeah. But then, when he told me that, I realized how stupid I'd been. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and um, it's a good thing he said something, too, because then it gave you the right perspective on it, right? It is. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It sure did. Absolutely. I haven't done it since. That's good. <laughs> I That's, retired. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So maybe we should go back to what we do in the home then, right? Yeah. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's there's all kinds of things that, you know, we can see that we are co that that we are ambassadors for Christ even in the workplace and we are co-laborers with him in that way that you know Christ dwells within us and let your light so shine right uh, you not hide it under uh, a basket he has a way of correcting you oh yeah you know I mean uh, I can think back on the things that's happened where I was wrong and was corrected right he didn't let me get away with it yeah well, that's a good thing. I mean, if you get away with it, does that really do any good? No. It's, yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. I've, I've yeah. done a lot of things I thought was was good, you know, great. I was proud of myself, but yeah. I got kicked down almost every time. <laughs> you know, uh, I tried to do something good for somebody, but I had the wrong, I guess it's the wrong spirit because mm. I'd be, uh, I, there's one lady I went to church with and for years and she was very poor she had two teenage kids they lived in a house with no air conditioning it's about like it was this past August so I go down there I'm going to do something good I got went down to Home Depot or somewhere and I got an air conditioner and I took it and I put it in her house and turned it on and everything her kids sit there and watch me do it and she was a faithful person at church I never saw her at church again she went to the Salvation Army <laughs> <laughs> Well, I don't know if that's your fault. Uh, <laughs> no, I know, but see, it, it was my attitude. Okay. That's what I'm getting at. You know, it wasn't an honest, I don't think. Okay. You know, I didn't do it in the right spirit, okay? Okay, well, that's, I, I mean. Showing off. You're that's trying to get credit for it, yeah. <laughs> that's fair. I mean, that's fair. And, and at, at the same time, it doesn't, it doesn't make what you did, it doesn't sully it as much as you probably think, though. I mean, 
they still benefited from that good work and uh, and, and, and in spite of your attitude toward doing it, right? They still benefited from having cool air conditioning in the heat of the day. And uh, who knows, maybe those, those, those kids said, well, Mr. Martin did that from us. You know? I hope so. Yeah, so yeah, who knows? Who knows what happens with that? Um, all right, so uh, I mean, we could go on, uh, but let's 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 go on to that last point here on this question. So, uh, reflecting on the fact that God dwells with His people, what are the implications for your life at worship? What happens at worship? It allows me to ready myself for the sacrament. Okay, how 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 would you ready yourself for this? It sacrament? helps me to completely trust that I'm receiving the body and blood of Christ for the forgiveness of my sins. That's great. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and paying attention to what you're saying when you, you know, yeah. are giving a sermon or reading the word. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and, and everything I do on a Sunday in the church service, it, it means something, you know. Uh, there's, there's, there's tradition that's held on to for good reasons, right? There's some traditions that are just ridiculous that we've, we've purged out, you know, as best we can. Uh, I mean, our liturgy is, is full of, of all the good stuff that uh, should have been held on to, right, by everybody else in the Reformation. Not everybody held on to it, but, you know, we have the, um, we have things like, we have things that confess, Right? That, that, that say what's actually taking place. And in the Augsburg Confession, it, it, and, and I, I hold to this strongly, of course I have to because it's the Lutheran Confessions, right? Uh, I've sworn to, uh, to uphold these things as, as a true exposition of the Word of God. Um, Scripture's still up here, but the Confessions are here, you know. Uh, the thing is, though, is that in the Augsburg Confession, it says we, our ceremonies are retained, in the church because they teach the people what they need to know about Jesus. They teach the people what they need to know. So one thing I'll ask y'all to do, and y'all have asked me before, like, why do I kneel at certain parts of the service? Why do I do certain things in the service? And, and it's like, this isn't a law that you have to do these things, but I do them to teach more, right? Um, like when, when we're doing the service of the sacrament and I do the words of institution and after I speak Christ's words over the bread and, and, then, and then I hold it up and then I kneel, giving reverence and, and showing people, hey, something's changed here, right? It's bread, but it's also the body of Christ, right? By his word. It's, it's not like a Roman Catholic thing where the bread is no longer there and now it's only body, but it's... This, mis this mysterious union of the body of Christ with the bread that we get to eat. That we not only just eat bread, but the body of Christ. It's great. And then the same thing with the chalice, right? It's, it is wine, but it's also the blood of Christ. And so I, I kneel saying, look what God is doing in this moment, feeding us this great meal, you know? And, and again, if pastors don't do that, they're not sinning. But I do that to teach something. And, and one thing I will say that maybe I could challenge you to catch me doing this, uh, that when, we, when I do what's called the proper preface, where I say, 
with angels and archangels and all the company of heaven, we laud and magnify your glorious name evermore, praising you and saying, and we sing the Sanctus, which is holy, you know, holy, holy, holy. Well, for, first of all, do you know where that piece comes from, That those words come from? What part of the Bible? Is that where uh, Jesus is coming into Jerusalem? Well, the holy, holy, holy part first is which part of the Bible? We'll get to the Hosanna in a second. Okay. The holy, holy, holy is which part of the Bible? Do you all know? Revelations. Hmm? Revelations. Isaiah 6. Isaiah 6. Where, and and, and in, in, uh, in Revelation, it's, it's said there as well. Holy, holy, holy. But you first see it in Isaiah 6, where Isaiah sees the vision of God in the temple, and the six-winged seraphim are flying with uh, two wings, they cover their faces with two wings, they cover their feet, and with two wings they fly. And they're singing the song, Holy, 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 Lord God of hosts, Lord God of... Lord God of... of Sabaoth, which means hosts. Heaven and earth are full of thy glory, right? And that's to say, we are in God's presence, right? We are like Isaiah. We behold God in this moment right? Uh, we behold him doing his work and cleansing us, right, with his body and his blood. And then we sing Hosanna. And where do you see Hosanna in the Bible? Palm Sunday. Yeah. What's, who's doing what on Palm Sunday? The people are laying palm fronds down and shouting Hosanna, Hosanna. Because Jesus is coming. Yeah. Because Jesus is coming. Uh, and, and in that in that moment, we're saying Jesus is coming, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. And then, watch me sometime, and you'll see me. That when it, when we say Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord, I cross myself to say that's who's coming in the name of the Lord. It's not me, it's not you, it's Jesus. Right? Jesus is coming in our midst in the body and the blood, and uh, and that. That's just one example of many in worship where we say, look what's happening, look what God's word is saying is taking place, and look how marvelous it is. And especially when you come up to receive Holy Communion, uh, the body and blood of Christ, what do I say to dismiss you? Y'all know? What do I say to dismiss the, the people from the table? Go in peace. Yeah, depart in peace. But before that, I say, and now may this true body and blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, strengthen and preserve you in body and soul unto life everlasting. Depart in peace. Listen for that next time. It makes a big difference. It makes a big, big difference. Uh, uh, and, and when you know these things and you recognize them, it, 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 it adds a certain awareness of not just, you know, pastor saying the thing and he's doing the thing and now I get up and I go back to my seat. It's God is doing these things for my benefit to show me that he's dwelling within me in a very real and tangible way in the bread and the wine, the body and the blood. And it's benefiting me in... In, in the spirit and the flesh. In the, yeah, in the body and the soul, the spirit and the flesh to say that my entire being is now redeemed it's being sanctified by God's word and his sacrament. And now I can go home 
Now I can go to work knowing that God dwells within me wherever I go, right? Kind of neat. Any, any, any comments or questions on, on any of this? The way we do worship with the ceremonies and the rituals and everything yes. that we go through. Yes. I like it because it's quiet time for me to reflect on the Lord mm -hmm. and everything out. And these church services, these contemporary church services. <laughs> you, you're bringing it up, not me. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I got you. I mean, how can you, I, I don't see how you can fuck with all of this yeah, going on. Strip lights. Yeah. You yeah, know, yeah. and it's almost like they're there to be entertained instead of focusing on spending time with the Lord. Yeah, yeah. And, and so I like our the worship service that we have. Because it's supposed to be, to me, it's supposed to be a quiet time. Well, and it should be to everybody yeah. a time of, I mean. of reflection and, and yeah. yeah. It's not there to go and woohoo and, you know, and, you know. Yeah, yeah. That just seems like it's more of an outward entertainment. I don't, I don't, it's, I don't, for me, it would be really, it's really hard to focus on the Lord and right. what's going on when you're, you know, all this is going on. Yeah. And I don't see how people can can do that in those right. type of services. Well, and 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 there's even um, maybe okay. So you brought up contemporary worship, mm -hmm. um, and that can that oftentimes is very distracting because it, it it's it's always changing, you know. Mm -hmm. You go to a Sunday, you're not quite sure what to expect. And for some people, that's exciting. Yeah. But for thousands of years of the church, you show up to church, maybe not knowing what hymns are going to be sung, mm -hmm. but you know what you're not getting any surprises about what's going to be proclaimed, what's going to be, you know, how things are going to lay out or whatever. Um, and, and, and so there's, there's the, there's that side of contemporary worship that, um, is a downside because um, everything is different every or at, at least enough things are different. I'll say that enough things are different every Sunday in a contemporary worship service to where uh, it's novel enough to where it's kind of exciting, but that begins to be more of a focus than it should be as opposed as opposed to the tried and true things of saying I know what I'm getting I know what to expect and um, and that's and, and and I'll transition that a little bit uh, into saying that's a, that's that's a big reason why I'm, I'm actually not a proponent in fact I'm I'm fairly adamant against having uh, <laughs> having any kind of screens in worship yeah. Um, and, and, you know, there are some, the, there are some churches that use screens that are very traditional still. Uh, but I find that, uh, you know, I mean, who doesn't have a smartphone, right? We all have smartphones. Oh, yeah. Amy doesn't have a smartphone. Congratulate. Okay, fine. Yeah. <laughs> Amy and James, the Hymans don't have, <laughs> don't have, don't have smartphones. You got cell phones though. So, but the thing is, but you got TV, No. You got a computer? Yeah. 
Yeah. All right. So, but either way, there are screens in our lives, and I'm not going to rail too hard against this. Um, we didn't put up our TV any in our house, and, and and it's made a big difference because we actually talk to each other now. <laughs> uh, but the thing is, is that I I read something about this, and I can't argue against it. It's like when you're in a room with the screen, like a, a TV. Go to a restaurant. I know. Right? I hate go to a restaurant that has a TV on. I, I want you to count the times you look at the TV without even realizing it. Just see what happens. And then insert that in church. And usually, where's a screen? Up front. But where up front? It's off to the sides. Where should your focus and worship be? Front and center on the altar. Right or the pulpit or the lectern or you know, but usually those draw your attention out, and it's the same thing. Like if we had a flickering light here, a a flickering fluorescent light here, you would your eye would just keep looking, even though you know it's flickering. You just I can't help but look at it because there's something within our brains that wants to look at the flashing lights, right? And so, in worship, there should be as minimal distractions as possible. Of course, you know, we got kids in the service and I don't mind kids getting rowdy or, or kids getting upset or crying. That's just what happens. But planned, planned, uh, what is it? Planned distractions, planned things like that become detrimental at a certain point and you get people. And, and I, think, I think people of my generation actually probably really appreciate not having screens because they probably stare at them all day long and they're tired of it. Uh, at, at, at least some, some are. I'm not going to speak for the entirety of my generation because we're all different, right? But uh, yeah, at worship, we should be having this place that is set apart, right? Uh, and, we sh- and we can use technology in a good way like speakers and a sound system to play the music or so you can hear me clearly because that's how the word works, right? And also, when it's every single Sunday that you do the same thing or at least a variation of the same thing, divine service one, three, whatever, you wind up finding that you don't even need to have the hymnal open anymore except for the hymns. And how wonderful is that? That's better than a screen. You know it by heart, right? I mean, how many times have you told me, Audrey, that when you're feeling in a certain way that's down or something like that, you think of the offertory from Divine Service setting three that we know, but you probably know as the common service from TLH that, you know, created me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, but and take not thy Holy Spirit from me, right? Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with a, a willing spirit, Right? And you know it. You know it. That's beautiful. But see, another reason I yeah. like having the hymnal, it's like when the kiddos are sitting next to me, they could actually follow along. If it's up on the screen, yeah. they don't know where to look. Yeah. They don't even know if they're paying attention or not. Yeah. Hey, right. And they, uh, they yeah. want to know, here, we're on this page. This is where we're at. This it keeps kids busy. On. Yeah. It keeps, it keeps kids busy if they know how to use the hymnal. But also, uh, what is it? But also, um, the kids wind up learning it by heart too, and 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 uh, yeah, 
Um, I think I told some of y'all that's 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 why I try and sing as much as I do in chanting because, uh, well, and you know, not everybody can do that. Uh, I've got friends who are pastors that you know would like to, and they're getting better at chanting. But the thing is, is that I try and sing because you remember music in a different way. That's why do you remember the offertory from the common service so well? Because it's set to music and you can hear the music in your head, right? I mean, everything in our service at worship is just put together so nicely that, that it really uh, dwells within us in that way to recall it by heart, right? And I'll stop there because I can go on and on and on about the church service. It's kind of my job. Uh, but anything else about worship? Anything, about, anything else about worship that y'all would like to touch on before we move on? It's the closest thing to heaven, the sight of heaven. Yes. It, I mean, it is heaven on earth. And that's a book that, that uh, one of my professors from the seminary wrote. It's called, it's called Heaven on Earth. And that's what happens. Heaven descends. God descends and is amongst us in his word and his sacraments. And it's one of those things that, you know, you see how I'm dressed. You know my views on these things. So it's not a surprise when I tell you, like, Whenever somebody talks to me about like contemporary worship, and, you know, I, I, I deal patiently with them because it's like I don't, I don't want to put anybody off or think that we're fighting against each other. But to say, no, I mean, let me just explain my side of things. And when you look at the liturgical worship that we have from our hymnals, uh, it looks a lot like what you find in Revelation. It looks a lot like what you find going on in heaven. And so it's like, if you don't like liturgical worship, I hate to tell you, I don't know what you're going to think about heaven. Because night and day, the saints do not cease in singing glory to God. Right? Anyways, sorry. Uh, you are going to say something, Audrey? Uh, um, several times I've had the thought, you know, that it, it's easy to focus on it if you're not having to play the organ and get to the right <laughs> next page. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When right. you're participating right. and have some duty, it's very distracting. Sure. Yeah. And I try to, when I go to practice the hymns on the organ, I try to go through all the words and think about them mm. as I practice because at the service, at the time, during the service, I was busy trying to find, make sure I was in the right place. Right, doing a lot of stuff. And it's the same thing with parents and kids, too, right? Mm -hmm. uh, you're, you're very distracted with your kids, and, and yet I think Amelia's started carrying around her little pocket hymnal because she knows the service by heart, and all she needs are the hymns, and she carries around her little, uh, her little pocket hymnal here. I know this is probably too small for some folks with the print, but it's just got the words in it, you know, and, and if you can hear the, 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 the tune, you just have the words there, uh, which I'd, we're, I'd like to maybe see about giving giving at least one of these to every mom in the congregation that has small kids, because this is a lot easier to handle than a big hymnal, right? Um, it's kind of nice. Anyways. All right. Um, so, moving on, because we got to, because we got to. Um, Romans 8.15 preserves an ancient prayer. You received the spirit of sonship in which we cry, Abba, uh, in which we cry, in which we cry, Abba, um, Father. Both, both the Aramaic, that's 
that's the the uh, Abba, and Greek pater uh, forms for father are found here. This address to God in the Aramaic probably goes back to Jesus and continued to be used in prayer uh, by early Christians even when they spoke Greek. It reflects the profound truth that through the one true Son, we are now sons of God who can address our Creator as our Father, right? So how do Christians express this truth in prayer today? The Lord's Prayer. Right, the Our Father, the Lord's Prayer, that's right. I mean, uh, two names for the same thing, right? Yeah, uh, but it's always been known, or it's, it's been known for longer as Our Father, because that's how it starts, right? And that's paramount, right? When we're praying to God, He is Our Father. There's that familial relationship now as His dear sons. Even you ladies are sons. Like I like to say, don't have a problem with ladies. I hope you don't have a problem being known as the sons of God because we men still have to be known as the bride of Christ. So it goes both ways. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Anything else? I mean, how, how we continue, how, how we express the truth of uh, God as our father today. When we confess the creeds. Yeah, that's that's another good one. Yeah, absolutely. Um, when when we confess, I, I believe in God the Father Almighty and in the Son and the Holy Spirit, right? Um, and usually when we teach people to pray, I mean, in our in our chart, you saw that there was a mention that you can pray to the Spirit of Holiness. You can pray to the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is God, right? And you can pray to Jesus because He's God as well, right? Uh, but most of the time we encourage people, I mean, little kids, you usually say, dear Jesus, and you say those kinds of things to help them begin the habit. But when we're teaching people to pray formally, we usually teach them a formula of that you pray, dear Heavenly Father, or Lord God, Heavenly Father, or something like that. You address the Father, and you bring up a thanksgiving for what he has promised or what he has done, and then you pray specifically for what you want to pray for, and then you say, I pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Right? That's a very formulaic way of praying. I recommend trying to do that when you're amongst other people because it, it confesses and prays at the same time. Um, if you don't do it, don't worry. I'm not going to like harp on you or say that you're a sinner or it doesn't count, right? Yeah, I'm not, not, I'm not going to say any of those things, but that's a... To structure our prayers makes us think and really be deliberate with how we pray. And most of the time we do teach people to pray to the Father in the name of Jesus the Son uh, by the power of the Holy Spirit. right? So that the Trinity is there, one God, now and forever. Yeah. Okay. All right. Let's keep going on. Um, unless somebody else had something to say? Add something? Anybody? No, I always pray to the Father. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The boss. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, and there is subordination there due to the economy of the Trinity. You know, everybody has their role to play. And the, the Son proceeds from the Father, and the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son, and these sorts of things like that, right? Yeah, there is generation there. Um, all right, so we are not only children of God now, but we are also heirs of more to come in the future. 
Uh, you see that in chapter 8, verse 17. We can help people who are suffering by both assuring them of their present blessings as children of God and by pointing them to the future blessings of resurrected and and uh, and eternal glory that they will certainly uh, that they will certainly um, inherit on the last day. Uh, the next section, and we'll kind of run through these 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 parts fairly quickly, I think. Uh, the redemption of all creation is the next section on this study. Uh, so we're just going to keep on rolling. That's all right. In Romans 8, verses 18 through 25, Paul puts his discussion of the glory that awaits us on the last day in the broader context of what is in store for all creation. These verses give a broader understanding of what is meant when we say, God so loved the world. John 3, 16, right? God created all things visible. Um, God created all things visible and invisible. After creating them, he saw that they were good. Creation is not evil, but sin has corrupted this good gift of God. Christ came to redeem all of his creation from sin. Our eternal life in heaven will not be a quote-unquote spiritual existence in fluffy clouds, but will include a restored creation much like Adam and Eve enjoyed, enjoyed in the Garden of Eden before the fall. Uh, the universal effects of the redemption that Christ accomplished are wonderfully expressed, expressed here. The creation groans as in childbirth, awaiting the last day, when it will be set free from its bondage to decay. So, in light of Romans 8, read John 3.16, and what, is, what exactly does John mean by the world in this verse? I mean, do we really need to turn to John 3.16? Can you all just say it by heart? Who can say it by heart? Yeah, for God so loved the world that he has only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but shall have, have eternal life. Right? Uh, yeah, so what does John mean by the world in that verse? For God so loved the world. Us, okay. Yeah. yeah, what else? His creation. All of it. Yeah. yeah. All of his creation. Yeah. Does he include sinners? <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. I hope so. Yeah, I hope so yeah. too, Frank. Yeah, me too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, so most of, the times, most of the time when you're hearing me preach about the world, it's usually in a very negative context. You know, like the world hates you because you're a Christian. The world doesn't want you to know the truth of Jesus Christ, because it's contrary to God's will. The world wants you to believe these things, right? And usually when I preach about the world, it's what the, it's what, uh, the Bible says about the world, which is that uh, it describes corrupt and rebellious people, right? Those who are under the power of uh, Satan, right? Uh, who are persuaded by his lies. Uh, but here John has in mind, yeah, the sinners, the corrupt. He has in mind the saints, and even broader, the natural order, that is like everything. Right? I mean, these verses, um, you know, no doubt are, are where we get the understanding. The, the foundation of, uh, I think it's the, the second and third stanzas of uh, Joy to the World, right? Why, do you, why else do you think we sing about rocks, hills, and, 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 and what's planes. that? What's that? And planes. Yeah. Rocks, hills, and planes. Da -da -da -da. Right. Repeat the sounding joy, right? That, and Jesus even says when, at the point when he's uh, coming into Jerusalem and the Pharisees say, 
keep them from saying Hosanna, keep them from saying what they're saying. And he says, if they were quiet, the very stones would cry out, right? Um, and, and that he restores all of creation, right? Um, that uh, when we are, when we behold God face to face, as Job says, in our flesh, right? That'll be a, a, a glorious day, um, not just for us as human beings redeemed by Christ, but for the entire world. Uh, it's kind of like what Luther said about his, his dog. You know this quote? Uh, Luther, Luther had a dog. Um, he was a dog person. And uh, he might have had cats, I don't know. But he has quotes about dogs. It's kind of funny. Um, he has this quote about his dog, and in the old German, they named his dog, um, I think it was called Tupel, which in modern German would be translated um, would be translated as like Dummkopf. Uh, yeah, like a dumb head. So yeah, like a dumb head dog. That's their dog's name. And, huh? Yeah, dumb dog. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it it was it was it was basically like they called their dog Numskull, you know. And, and and there were whenever the Luthers had they had people over all the time, right? Their house was the old uh, the old uh, cloister for the Augustinian order in Wittenberg. So they had all these rooms, and they had people staying with them all the time. Uh, and they would always be at the table, and you have this whole volume of just things that people wrote down while they were at dinner with Luther, you know, because he would just get in, in, into these discussions and people would have like a, a, a pen and paper there just like kind of jotting things down, right? Or they'd write it down in shorthand and save it for later. And so they have what's called table talks. And one of the things that he was recorded as saying was that he was saying something and he was talking about the resurrection of the dead. And he looks down and he sees his dog and he says, and fear not, little dog, for in the resurrection you too will have a... A a you too will have a a a golden tail, you know that that even the little dog will be um, restored, right? Um, must have been a golden retriever. Yeah, little kids worry sure. about that all the time. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Gonna go to heaven. When yeah, we yeah, yeah. Heaven. I don't. I don't know. <laughs> I that's that's not my field. Whether all dogs go to heaven or not. Um, what I do know is that all creation will be redeemed, that as it says also in Isaiah, that uh, you know, the wolf will dwell with the lamb and the infant will play by uh, the den of the adder, you know, the snake, and not have any fear of it. Right? So yeah, everything will be restored in, on the last day. Um, and, isn't that, and just as a side note, isn't it interesting that the last day never ceases being day. There is no night in the new creation because Christ is our light and he is always there and so there is no darkness anymore. We might get sick of it now, but then we'll be like, this is great, you know? It's going to be great. Yeah. You know? Never sleep. Yeah, you don't, you won't, you won't need to because, because Christ is your rest, right? Yeah, every day is the Sabbath in that sense. Awesome. All right. So, which brings us to this next part, or actually, um, yeah, this actually brings us to this next part. Something to hope for, right? 
Romans 8.23 notes that we have the first fruit of the Spirit. We should not understand this to say that we have a portion of the Spirit and there's more to come, or that it refers in some way to the fruit of the Spirit, you know, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, right, etc. The Spirit is the fruit or the harvest of the blessings of justification through Christ. The Spirit is God's first blessing to us in salvation. Romans 8, verses 24 through 25 make it clear that a vital part of our life now is the hope of this certain future. So our next question is something that St. Paul asks us in uh, chapter 8, verse 24. Who hopes for what he already has? What is, what is he getting at by asking that question? What do you think he's getting at? When I was talking about this question with Hope, we went into like two polar opposites. Okay. It's two completely different directions with this. Okay. Um, who hopes for what he already has? Well, her name is Hope, so yeah. yeah. <laughs> Anyways. That's funny. I didn't yeah. <laughs> no, I didn't. I try not to yeah. do that because I don't know if buttons are too Well, it's a good thing that hope does not put us to shame. So yeah. Anyways. <laughs> nice, right? Yeah, I like it. All right, cool. Go ahead. It's like when somebody's, you know, been saved and they remember their baptism and stuff like that. They have Christ in them and they're still hoping and having faith of what's to come. Yeah. And they know it without seeing it, I guess. But I but I was like, I think the point he's trying to make here is, because uh, he kind of says it here, uh, nobody really hopes for what they already have, or that's not hope. Yeah, and so what did she have to say about that? that was I think we kind of came to that agreement. It was all kind of about context. Yeah, and like what you, you know, yeah, he's basically saying, yeah. So you started on opposite ends and came. And kind of came together. Yeah. That's, that's good. So... I mean, when we talk about hope in the biblical context, um, we're not talking about something that may or may not happen, right? We're always talking about uh, a certain and confident, um, a certain and confident um, expectation, right? That God has promised certain things, and we look forward to that coming true because it's going to, right? And that is our hope. Like, so in, in the midst of darkness and despair, in the sufferings of this life, you look forward to the hope that is to come, right? In either death or the return of Christ, whichever comes first, right? Um, and so with that, Paul is saying that we have hope because we do not yet have all of the blessings that God has promised in fullness, right? We still have our flesh, right? We still need to hear the word. We still need to receive uh, the forgiveness of sins, right? We still have all these things that cling to us that tempt us and try to pull us away from God. And so that's why we live, um, we live in a state of tension between the spirit and the flesh, and we live in a state of intense longing for Christ's uh, for Christ's return right it's why you see uh, at the end of Revelation right you know come quickly Lord Jesus right the prayer that we should be praying all the time like Lord come quickly and just put an end to all of this right 
we know you're on your way. Just go ahead and get here, right? Uh, it's kind of a it's it's kind of a strange thing on some sense because when we talk about things that we hope for, we say, "Oh, I hope I get that raise," or "I hope you know so and so shows up for dinner on time." You know, those are uncertainties, but this is a certainty that God is going to deliver on these things in full, uh, even though we live in a time that right now. We have salvation. We have everlasting life. But we also live in the time of not yet, that is the consummation of the age, right? When Christ will return. So we live in hope, in tension, in longing for that day to come, right? Um, so how does the Spirit sustain your hope in the midst of the, the discouraging uh, in the midst of the discouraging um, events of life. What did y'all put for that? Yeah, I related it to a uh, you know, child on a bicycle going up a hill and needs a little push. Okay, <laughs> yeah. Spirit pushes you up the hill. Yeah, he kind of just puts his hand on your back. Or, there you go. A little bit there. Uh, that's a good one. I like that. Yeah. Anybody else want to? Share what they got. Well, he sustains it through his holy word, church. Mm -hmm. Nice. Yes. Okay. Uh, and the word says all kinds of things. Right? All kinds of comforting things. Yeah. Anything else? Anybody else want to share what they got for that? Because it, it's going to be, there's not one correct answer for this one, right? Everybody's going to have different contexts and needs for this. Well, I went back to this chart on page 48 yeah. to answer the question I said sustains hope in the midst of discouraging events by leading me through the promises or leading me back to the promises of scripture renewing me to drown the old man giving me spiritual life interceding for me accomplishing God's will through the events of life and fostering love between the believers very nice so I just kind of went down that, that chart there yeah. And the Holy Spirit does a lot. Yeah. Absolutely. Good. Yeah. That in all those ways, the end, the end being that we are um, reminded in our spirit that we are renewed in Christ, that we are all the, you know, the spirit does all these things because we are children of God. We are sons of God. Um, and that he continually comforts us in all those ways. I think that's, that's the exact exact right way to go about it. See all the things the Spirit does and say, I mean, all the above, right? <laughs> all the above. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, let's keep moving. We're actually not doing too bad here. Uh, the, next, the, the last section is called uh, Never Separated from God's Love in Christ. Uh, Romans 8, verse 28 to 39, is an apt and powerful conclusion to the discussion of the life that is lived by the one who is righteous by faith. We live each day knowing that no condemnation will be spoken against us due to our sin. Paul assures his readers that Christ, the one who died and was raised, is now in the position of authority, the right hand of God, before the Father, uh, and, uh, and interceding for us. Um, this is forensic language. Jesus is our defense attorney who points out the evidence that we are Righteous through him. 
As John states, if anyone does sin, he ha we, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the, the, the righteous one. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. Paul begins this section with the teaching of predestination. This teaching about God's foreknowledge and predestination is not meant to answer the unanswerable question, why are some saved and not others? John Calvin, a, re a reformer who lived in the decades after <laughs> Luther, tried to answer that question by falsely teaching that God predestined some to be saved and others to be damned. Double predestination. You see that uh, in chart 35, which maybe we should turn to real quick. Chart 35, uh, chart on page 35. Um, just kind of keep a finger where you are on page 50 there. In page 35, you see double predestination, that the false understanding based on chapter 9, verses 22 through 24, uh, is that before the creation, God chose to save some people by grace, but damn others to eternal punishment. The true understanding is to note that chapter 9, verses 22 through 24, actually, I think that's supposed to be, yeah, there's, yeah okay. Um, chap, chapter 9, verses 22 through 24 provides questions, not statements of fact. Paul doesn't answer these questions by writing uh, that God predestined people for eternal punishment. He affirms the salvation of the Gentiles and the remnant, and the remnant of Israel, okay? Now, back to page 50, we'll see that Holy Scripture clearly teaches that God desires all to be saved. So, uh, the, the doctrine, uh, the doctrine, um, the doctrine um, of election, as taught by Paul here, is to be a comforting teaching that assures believers that God has always desired our salvation and will also bring it to completion. See the note, uh, note the sequence of God's work in chapter 8, verses 29 through 30. He foreknew, foredetermined, called, justified by faith, and will glorify. Okay. Now we're going to move on here to the questions that St. Paul asks, uh, and beginning with chapter 8, verse 31. St. Paul asks, if God is for us, who can be against us? Satan. Yeah, Satan for sure. Yeah, yeah, Satan. Who else? Well, a lot of people, a lot can be against us. Right. But I, mean, I guess the point is, you know, so if God is for us. It doesn't matter because God that's, is for us. That's right. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who's against us. Yeah. Satan is for sure. Mm -hmm. Those who are deceived by Satan, for sure. Yeah. Uh, but it doesn't mean that the enemies we have because of our faith, or it doesn't mean that our enemies just go away because God is all of a sudden for us, right? Uh, we will always struggle against false teachers, false pastors, right? And we'll struggle against persecutors. But it's there's no doubt that God will give us the victory, right? Uh, so on some level, it doesn't. It doesn't matter. <laughs> it's just like uh, I. I really wonder how many people, um, even and especially in the Missouri Synod, live as if justification really, really mattered in their life. And by that, I mean 
how often do you go throughout the day or wake up in the morning and say, or would, when someone is coming against you for whatever reason, you simply say, well, that's shame. But on some level, I'm not bothered. It really doesn't matter to me because Christ has died for me. I'm good with God. And we'll see that later on here, right? Um, I mean, do y'all, sometimes we don't think about these things, right? But we should. We should think all the more, well, they're mad at me because I'm a Christian. That's a shame. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Absolutely. Right. Yeah, blessed are you when you're persecuted falsely for my name's sake, so Christ says, right? Beatitudes. Um, so, any thoughts on that? Sean, you're going to say something. Like yeah, that. Uh, we had an event this weekend, a uh, catering event, and we had this big box truck and we load up everything in it, right? And we're going down uh, Crab Apple to get to this place called Contigo Ranch or something uh-huh. like that. And the guy that works with me, Caleb, was driving, and I don't know if he was driving with his knee or something like that, and it started to kind of veer off the road, you know, and everything like that. And I was just, I don't know, he kind of whipped it and he kind of cursed and was like, oh, man, I'm sorry. I was like, it's no big deal to me, man. I know where I'm going. <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, really? And I was like, well, yeah. 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 And then that open discussion, and we kind of talked about Jesus and God on the way to the that's awesome event. But that's really cool. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean. So if I do that while I'm driving, that's when your response is going to be. I won't, I won't say anything. Right. <laughs> well, on some level, at some point, it's like it's it's one of those things that also, like if you're uh, you know if you're out playing pool or throwing darts at a bar and 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 and. Somebody's cussing, and they're just like, "Oh, I'm sorry," you know. Especially like, this is there's a, a pastor that I know who 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 likes to just play darts, and he plays darts professionally, like professionally. But he he's in competitions, and he plays darts, you know, and uh, he just loves it. And he said, but he's it's usually at a bar, and sometimes people at bars don't necessarily say the nicest things, and they'll sometimes say, you know, "Oh, oh, I'm sorry," you know, just like this obligatory sorry because they know he's a pastor. And oftentimes he just goes, no, oh, it's okay. No, no big deal. No big deal. And he, he said, but I think from now on, I'm, I'm going to try and catch myself and say, yeah, you probably shouldn't say those things. Like, I forgive you, but you probably shouldn't say those things. It's just not good, man. <laughs> you know, it's like, that's a bad habit. You should probably work on that a little bit, you know, but I forgive you. I forgive you, but yeah, <laughs> it's, it's one of those things. You're recognizing it. You're <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, kind of like. Kind of with Frank, you know, it's like, <laughs> yeah, that's what you said, yeah? Yeah, to go back to that, yeah? Probably shouldn't say those things. Just pretend everybody you meet as a pastor and you'll be all right. Well, yeah, and, and yeah. <laughs> and how can there be reconciliation if there's no rebuke, right? So there, there needs to be some recognition of sin for there to be reality restored. But no, yeah, if God is for us, who can be against us? God gives us the victory, right? Um... How about that next part? How will he, the Father, not also along with him, Christ, graciously give us all things? What's the answer to that question? How will he not give us all things? He will. Yeah, he, he will. Yeah, what a, what a silly question, right? 
He will give us all things, and we can see that in um, first Corinthians. He already is. Huh? Yeah. He already is. He has, and still he promises more. Yeah. That's what's so amazing. He's given it to us um, in our baptism, but we won't receive it until later on. What he's given us is more than enough already, but he still promises more. Isn't that awesome? So, and then there's 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 21 through 23. I'll just read it real quick if you want to make a note of it. 1 Corinthians 3, 21 through 23, where St. Paul writes, um, Therefore let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or, or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come, all are yours. And you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. Right? Uh, so, yeah, he will give us all things. He has, and there's more to come. Amazing as that is. Right? Baffling as that is. Um, that next question, though, who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? Who is he that condemns? See that in chapter 8, verses 33 through 34. Who is he that condemns? He that is lost. Yeah. He that is lost. That justifies. Right. Um, Satan will bring charges, but Satan can't condemn you. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. He's a prosecutor, uh, but the judge has the final say, right? Mm -hmm. God is the judge. Uh, So, yeah, our enemies and Satan constantly condemn us. Uh, And and, and that's that's something that some pastors might say in a good-natured way of saying, you know, don't call anyone your enemy because they're they're deceived by by satan that our war like saint paul does say our, our our war is not with flesh and blood right but it is with uh the powers of the heavenly realm the principalities the power you know the um the ruler of this age you know um, who is working all kinds of disobedience in the sons of in the sons of disobedience right it's satan right so we're warring against satan ultimately but i gotta say that that doesn't mean that people just automatically aren't our enemies. The people that are persuaded by Satan, that are deceived by him, are the enemy on some level because they're in league with the enemy Satan. Yet, we deal with enemies differently as Christians, right? We don't, we don't war against them in the conventional warfare. We do not do the eye for the eye anymore, right? Um, we do not uh, seek vengeance, right? We, uh, as, you know, there's, there's that part that says, read, um, uh, read uh, chapter 14, verses 10 through 13 uh, of Romans, where, um, what does it say? Oh, wait, that's not what I was thinking. Um, I was thinking, yeah, so God is God is the one who judges. Uh, maybe I'm thinking of a different word. Oh, wait, no, I'm not. So, <laughs> so um, maybe I'm thinking of chapter 2, verse 1, or not. No, I'm not. I'm thinking of something else. All right, but it's where... Um, it's where... He quotes the 
Proverbs, right? Um, that uh, you that if your if your enemy is hungry, then you feed him. Um, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. If your enemy is hungry, chapter twelve, verse twenty. Um, it's not. I think that was for a different part. Maybe. But anyways, twelve, verse twenty. Uh, Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Right? That's how we wage warfare, is doing good. Um, going the extra mile when our enemy wants us to walk with them kind of thing. You know, and being patient with them and praying for them. So we see enemies in a different light. But they're still enemies, and we still pray against the evil things they do and that they would be converted, right? Um, yeah, but the bottom line is that uh, alongside God and defended by Christ, such attacks and arguments from the enemies have no force. I, you know, again, why it's, it's one of those things, it's like, you know, so I, as a Christian, have a certain stance on abortion. I, as a Christian have a certain stance on homosexuality, transgenderism, or whatever, and then there are people that are advocates for those things, calling me hateful, bigoted, and all these things like that. And I think to myself, on some level, this, this may sound harsh, but I think to myself, well, why do I care what liars have to say? <laughs> why should I be bothered by what liars have to say about me? Because they're lying about me, and that shouldn't bother me and it doesn't bother me at all because who do I have to account? Who, who do I have to make an account to? But God himself. So be bold, right? That gives us the license to be bold in our confession and to stand fast speaking the truth in love when we need to. Uh, even though no matter how pleasant we try and sound, the other person is only going to hear judgment. It's not going to really, it may not be what they want to hear. They're going to probably say something to that effect. Okay, so um, how about that next part? Uh, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or, or, or nakedness or danger or sword? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Nothing can. Right, right. No one, nothing, neither height nor depth nor anything in all creation, right? Um, and that's also that's, that's also seen in uh, John's gospel where Jesus says that, that, uh, that we are in the Father's hand and no one can snatch us out of his hand. Satan is not all-powerful. He is not all-knowing. Let's not give him more credit than he deserves, right? He's not all-powerful. He's not all-knowing. He cannot snatch us away, but we can jump out of God's hand, right? We can, we can push him away and say, I don't need you. Uh, but likewise, he's always chasing after us, right? Trying to grab us if we do jump out of his hand. Um, and... No sword is sharp enough to divide us from our Lord who dwells within us, right? And think of it that way as well. Um, and we're going through the book of Job right now, 
in Sunday school. So if you want to join us for that, it kind of talks a lot about temptation and Satan bringing a charge and God being a part of allowing temptation to fall upon us and, and what, 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 what that means. But it's very interesting that Job suffers all these things, right? Trouble, hardship, persecution, famine. Uh, I mean, he tears off his clothes and, and like he's in danger and the sword takes, you know, his livestock and all this stuff like that. And yet Satan can't pull him away, but he can curse God. And that's what Satan wants. Right? He wants us to curse God for all the hardships we get that fall upon us. Uh, so our... Yeah, he got all his news like... One right after right. him is that servant stopped speaking. Another one came and told That's him. That's right. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And like the four, the four corners, like the wind from the four corners of the earth blew in, like the house that crushed your children, and the fire of God fell from heaven and consumed the livestock and, and, the, and, and, and the servants and all these things. And I, and only I have escaped to tell you. It's like, oh man, what's next? Right. So yeah. Um, <laughs> Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. He is always chasing after us, right? Um, when we say in Psalm twenty-three, "Surely goodness and surely goodness and mercy," it's really more than that. It's steadfast love shall follow me, but it's more than that. Shall pursue me, shall hunt me down all the days of my life, right? Kind of a different way of thinking about Psalm 23. <laughs> it's more intense, right? It's more intense, but that's what it is. It's it's not just surely goodness and mercy shall follow me like a puppy dog or like a lost lamb all the days of my life. No, he's he's chasing after you all the time and reaching after you and trying to grab you and pull you back whenever you're not where you should be. And that's why St. Augustine, St. Augustine called God the hound of heaven. Every time he was running away, God was on his heels, nipping at him, saying, no, no, come, come back here, come back here, you know. It's like, you belong over here, stay over here, you know. It's like luring him back, taking him back, pulling him back where he should be, and but he kept getting away, you know. <laughs> yeah, so, all right. So the conclusion to chapter 8 speaks for itself. These verses are great comfort to those who are suffering and dying. Paul does not belittle the real and painful struggles of life that come from our, our sinful condition and world. He says, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Verse 36 there. Such struggle, however, does not lead us to despair. Rather, we are hyper-conquering. We are more than conquerors, right? Through the love of through the Christ who loved us since, since nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ. Now, this last question is a little strange, I'll admit. I, I didn't, I was just like, mm, okay, what's, what's, what's the point here? But I'll just ask it because it's on the paper. Um, as later Roman Christians read Paul's letter, they sat within view of Rome's massive stadium, the circus... The circus, uh, the circus, uh, the circus Maximus, where 
where, where many Christians were slaughtered in persecutions. What other sites in Rome today might encourage them of the victory in Christ? I mean, very basically, we're not going to go into Roman Catholicism and everything like that, but... That's kind of what I put. Yeah, okay. What? Sounds put... like the Vatican. Okay, the Vatican. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I, what... I mean, maybe when, like, Roman Catholicism, when it first started instead of what it was perverted into. Well, before it became Roman Catholicism, when it was just Catholicism, right? It was just like it kind of cool the universal church, right? The yeah. church there instead of that stuff being glorified. Yeah, what Rome used to be... Rome, Rome at one point in time was the center and the hotbed of all kinds of horrors and, and atrocities and paganism and false belief, then became a bastion of Christianity. Right, and then it became not that, not that. <laughs> uh, because of Roman Catholicism and what it and what it proclaims in the the errors. But still, those in the Church of Rome, there are still Christians in the Church of Rome. You know, there are still Christians in Roman Catholicism. We're not we are not um, sectarians in that way to say that there's only salvation in the Lutheran Church. Right. Uh, you can go to other churches and hear the gospel and be saved, you know. Um, there are certainly Christians in Baptist churches, Methodist churches. Not sure about the Episcopalians. Just kidding. Um, there, are there, there are Christians in the Episcopalian church even, right? Um, but yeah, I would say that that now the Roman skyline is just filled with crosses, you know. So at the very least... You have the crosses that are prominent, you know, throughout Rome. Uh, so in that sense, we should see the cross. And whenever we see the cross, uh, see that it proclaims the Lord's triumph over death, right? Um, it's kind of neat. Uh, Charlotte, you know, she, um, we have this, this like big Curious George book. And there's this one part, uh, this has a point, I promise. Uh, there's a point, there's a part, one of the stories in there is like, Curious George learns the alphabet. And so I went through that with Charlotte, and then when it got to T, so the lowercase T, and Charlotte just goes, the cross! And I was like, that's, yes! Yes! yes. That's my daughter! Good girl! Good girl! The cross! You know? Um, and, and, huh? Did you, did you see what she was doing Sunday when you were holding her up there in front of the church? Yeah, she was kissing Jesus. She does it all the time. She grabs my little uh, pectoral crucifix there, and she just she just mwah, 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 just kisses Jesus all the time. Cool. And I and I just keep saying, and it's so funny. She gasps at the funniest things, but one thing I really like that she gasps at is like it's like Jesus loves you. <gasps> it's like. Do you love Do you love Jesus? Uh huh. Can you say I love you, Jesus? I love you, Jesus. Jesus loves you too. <gasps> <laughs> All right. Yeah. It's great. It's wonderful. Still it's wonderful. It's wonderful. Hopefully, it'll continue to. So yeah, whenever you see the cross, see the proclamation of Christ's uh, triumph over death for you. Right. Uh, words to remember: uh, Romans eight verse ten. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. 
Um, for next time, prepare uh, for the study Adoption as Sons. Read chapters 9 through 11 in Romans. So you got a little, a little reading to do and a, a little work because that's another long one. Uh, but, but it'll be good. And uh, we'll just go from there, okay? Um, any, any closing thoughts or questions about our study? If it doesn't have to do with our study, we can talk about it afterwards. There are no questions or, or comments or thoughts about our study, then let's go ahead and close with the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.